The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of love touches earth in the humility of Christ, here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our radio co congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We invite your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your decisions, selections about forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us come Sunday. This Sunday, we prepare a Thanksgiving feast. As we are able, may we stand to the praise of God.
we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, our teacher Christopher Lash, now deceased, once summarized well a part of Reinhold Niebuhr's thought about confession and absolution. The only way, he wrote, to break the endless cycle of injustice is through nonviolent coercion with its spiritual discipline against resentment. Spiritual discipline against resentment. In order to undermine an oppressor's claims to moral superiority, one has to avoid such claims on their own behalf. We are about to celebrate a Thanksgiving feast. Before we do, let us bow our spiritual heads and fold our spiritual hands and purse our spiritual lips and quiet our spiritual centers and acknowledge our own frailty, our own limitation, our own waywardness, in order that over time we may acquire a spiritual discipline against resentment. May we pray. Good news, pardon. Good news, peace. 
Good news, pardon, and peace. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. May you be made strong in all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading responsively from the Canticle of Zechariah with the Antiphon. of Israel, for he has looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness for him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 6, verses 25 through 35. Glory to you, O Lord. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Pilgrims they were who ate the first Thanksgiving meal in 1621. William Bradford wrote, they knew they were pilgrims. Pilgrims journey, pilgrims travel in a certain direction, pilgrims hear within their earthly travels the echoes, faint but real, of lasting meaning. Are you pilgrims? 
Thanksgiving at least allows us to pause and consider whether or not we're going anywhere. And so even this holiday can become an opportunity for the power of God to change the human heart. In Plymouth, Massachusetts, Anno Domini 1621, that is, in the second year of the community's life, Governor William Bradford declared December 13th of that year to be set aside for feasting and prayer. He meant for the pilgrims to look back a year, to give thanks, and to pray. Have you lived through a trying year? So had Bradford's pilgrims. During the winter before 1620 to 1621, one half of all of the original travelers had died. William Bradford. The living were scarcely able to bury the dead. Somehow, the rest survived, and after a full year of struggle with nature and history and providence on Bradford's order, they sat down for feasting and prayer to look back a year and to give thanks and to pray. They gathered at table with their Native American neighbors, hosts, saviors, fellow pilgrims, and they paused. In 1621, the people of that little struggling pilgrim community paused for feasting and prayer. The women of the community baked for days. The children turned roasted wild pigs on spits atop blazing open fires. The native peoples brought wild turkey and venison. Pilgrims brought ducks and fish and geese. The provision of an abundant, if harsh, environment. And together they ate the meat with journey cake, cornmeal bread with nuts, and for dessert, there was pumpkin stewed in maple sap. They spent three days singing and praying and feasting, and then they went back to work. William Bradford's Plymouth Rock Pilgrims knew better than we do how unforgiving the world can be, nature and history, both. The snows of 1620 and the squabbles of 1621 ravaged their community, starved their children, infected their loved ones, and nearly extinguished the candle of hope with which they had come to the new world. For the pilgrims had hoped to find a place, however rude and however poor, in which freely to worship God. They very nearly did not survive. Yet they found in that first Thanksgiving a reason to be thankful, a feast fit for pilgrims such as they and such as we. And just what spiritual feast, what Thanksgiving feast did they celebrate on December 13, 1621, on the shores of the Massachusetts Bay? Perhaps in part they simply celebrated safety for those who remain. In their feasting they gave thanks perhaps for a measure of physical safety and security. Governor Bradford himself had reason thus to be thankful. He grew up on a farm in England, but was touched by the Spirit of God and began to seek religious freedom. First he fled to Holland, then he sailed to the New World, at last to be safe from religious persecution. Yes, the pilgrims gave thanks for safety, though they knew it to be a passing blessing and uncertain commodity. You will not always be safe. 
The forces of nature and the iron necessities of history continue, random and raging and relentless. You cannot absolutely control what may happen on an airliner, nor, you, nor can you determine when and how the earth will quake. Nor, more lightly, can you predict or preclude this coming Thursday what your mother-in-law may say as she passes the oyster dressing. Security is a great blessing, even our great blessing today, but not all in the world are so blessed and not always are those now blessed ever so blessed. William Bradford. Our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness. As W.B. Yeats wrote, some people are bred to harder things than triumph. As we know, some best people are bred to truer things than success or even safety. Now, a measure of temporary security alone did not create the first Thanksgiving feast. Perhaps they also gave thanks for community. It is one thing to have troubles and another to have troubles together. In class this week, as we studied the Gospel of John, I asked my students where they thought faith came from. And then one asked the same of me, and in a moment after 35 years of ministry, I gave a quick answer and I believe a true one. Faith, faith comes from trouble. If you ask most people how they came to faith, they will tell you a story about trouble. Faith comes from trouble. Perhaps our ancestors were thankful for company in misery, for community in trouble. Pilgrims share a common purpose and so a community along the earthly road as we do here. Always this is reason for joy. Here is an odd definition. A solution is a problem that has been, it has been shared. And in the lifespan of every problem, there is a point at which it is large enough to see and small enough to solve. Oh, what a beautiful moment. A problem is a solution waiting for a comrade. Harry Truman found two times of real joy in his early life, one in the Army and the other in the Senate, both because of the very real comradeship, the very real community of those groups. I have found in the covenant of the clergy, in the brotherhood and sisterhood of the clergy, when and where it has actually existed, a true, a profound, and a unique companionship, real companionship, a word, by the way, which has its root in shared bread. We take our churches so much for, so much for granted, and yet these little lights along the shore stand out every day more precious. What a precious event it is when someone, maybe you, maybe here, maybe today, finds a church home to enjoy, a church family to love, a church community for which to give thanks. William Bradford. As one small candle may light a thousand, so the light here kindled has shone unto many. Community, as all pilgrims know, community requires sacrifice. For those aged 10 to 30 here today, the sacrifice involves attention, the willingness to set aside singular forms of communication 
in favor of the singular beauty of communion. It involves the sacrifice of the blackberry for the beauty of the blackberry pie. It involves the sacrifice of the Facebook for the beauty of the breathing human face. For those aged 30 to 50, the sacrifice involves time, that rarest commodity for young families, time, time in church, time in school, time at work, but time in advocacy, tutoring, conversation, consideration of the common good. The generation of parental influence needs to invest time. For those aged 50 to 70, the sacrifice involves authority, also a precious feature of communal life. Your generation is still profoundly ambivalent about authority and will need to learn to sacrifice some freedom for the sake of order. Those of us of this generation especially need to grow into a realization that there is a place for authentic authority in order to build community. I challenge you, now that you are the generation of political influence, to recognize and accept the real role of authority in the development of community. For once we accept the legitimate authority of others, we then are free to take on our own legitimate authority. The generation of political influence needs to invest authority. For, the, for those aged 70 and up, another sacrifice is specifically, though not exclusively to you, required. Tithing begins for all on the front porch of faith. You learn faith by giving. You only have what you have the freedom to give away. And community requires money. Oh, I know the objections. I share them. Any community will waste some money. But it is a question of whether it is money well wasted. Community is not a given. It has to be built. It has to be maintained, brick and mortar, click and mortar. The generation of financial influence needs to invest in the future, in the community, in the Pilgrim Project, by investing resources. Along the wooden benches in Plymouth, 1621, the Thanksgiving feast may have celebrated the power of community, but community alone did not create that first Thanksgiving. Perhaps the pilgrims also gave thanks for life. William Bradford, being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell upon their knees and they blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean. Yes, they gave thanks for life. As my grandmother said every day, it is a great life, and I am so glad to be living it. Yet we know how contingent life is. We are so dependent, so fragile. Every benediction, every Sunday is meant as a provisional, final blessing, final word. We view ourselves sometimes as temporarily immortal, and then we're reminded often by an unbidden and unwelcome phone call in the wee hours of the morning. The day of the Lord comes, says the scripture, like a thief in the night, unexpected, dreadful, 
painful. So, come Sunday, yes, we give thanks for life. But life is contingent, dependent, fragile. Life alone did not evoke the prayer and feasting of the first Thanksgiving. Pilgrims they were who celebrated that first feast. Pilgrims give thanks. Are we pilgrims? Not only for security and not only for community and not only for life, but also for another reality, what our gospel calls the food that endures for eternal life, bread from heaven, the bread of life. In fact, none of these others would matter. Safety, community, life, were it not for the bread of life. In the hearing of the word today, we are accosted by the bread of life, and with it the spoken word. Here is the news in your hearing that God meets us, meets you today in person to heal. But the one who is the bread of life is taking us and translating us out of our mother tongue of fear and into the new idiom of ready forgiveness. You know it in your experience. When someone has really hurt you, not lightly, but deeply, really cut, and that hurt moves to anger, and that moves to hatred, and then by grace you find that you can fully accept your opponent, and know that an adversary is not necessarily an enemy. That is spiritual translation at work. And the Son of Man is the translator. Pilgrims are thankful, we today, for the bread of life which nourishes spiritual translation. The one who is the bread of life is investing in the holy, whole dimly lit world to show us the living God. This investment to which we respond in a moment by the presentation of our tithes and offerings, this is all we can know of God, for God is invisible both to our eye and to our mind. A true Thanksgiving feast, the very bread of life comes to invest in us, to work beside us, and work is good. Labor omnia winket, work conquers all. That is spiritual investment at work. Let us be thankful for such investment. The one who is the bread of life is guiding us and uniting us one to another. Once real companionship takes hold in your life, there is no going back at every level. Another kind of Thanksgiving feast today is calling us to maintain together the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. For the one who is the bread of life against serious odds is also forming a body. Hear, see, listen, look now. Apart from what you sometimes may hope and what I sometimes may think, the bread of God comes down from heaven and is forming a new creation, clean and shiny and good and happy. Life is a smorgasbord for those who hunger and thirst for such righteousness. The Thanksgiving feast himself guarantees it. Let us be thankful for the former and founder 
of faith. The one who is the bread of life is leading pilgrims, you and I, leading us on through defeat, through bitterness, through fear, through illness, through discord, through exclusion, leading pilgrims such as we beyond crucifixion to resurrection. Let us be thankful for the one in whom we shall not hunger, the one in whom we shall not thirst, the one who is the bread of life is reconciling to himself all things, all things. This is the peace wrought for us finally upon the cross. This is spiritual reconciliation at work for which we give deep and lasting thanks. Beyond safety, beyond community, beyond life itself, behold the bread of life who slakes our thirst nourishes our hunger and prepares us for a thanksgiving feast. Amen. As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray in the tradition that will most support the prayers of this community this morning. Come and stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise your hands in place, respond in your first language, however you are so moved by the Spirit. The Iona community in Scotland helps us to shape our prayers this morning, and we give thanks to our brothers and sisters in Iona for their gifts of liturgy, hospitality, and service with and to the poor. I will set the intention. If you would pray aloud or silently as you are so moved, I will say, in your grace, please respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray together.
you who are one, you who are three, one God in perfect community. We who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source of all life and Christ and spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we bring to you someone who we have met or remembered today and for whom we want to pray. In your grace, hear our prayer. Someone who faces a particular challenge of body, mind, spirit. In your grace, hear our prayer. All who travel, and especially all who are on pilgrimage. In your grace, hear our prayer. Silently, we bring to you someone who we find it hard to forgive or to trust. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring ourselves to you that we might grow in generosity of spirit, clarity of mind, and warmth of affection. In your grace, hear our prayer. And now we continue our prayers as our Lord Christ has taught us, being bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again and welcome you to the nave of Marsh Chapel. We thank you for being with us this Sunday. We hope you'll take a moment to fill out the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew and pass them along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We would note that for those who are interested in attending the women's gathering following the service today at the Howard Gottlieb Archival Research Center can meet Jan Hill in the narthex at 1215. We do note that the chapel offices are closed beginning on Wednesday for the Thanksgiving holiday, but we will be here as every Sunday one week from today, and we hope you will join us as well for the first Sunday of Advent. We note that the annual university service of lessons and carols will be taking place on Friday evening, December 3rd at 6 p.m. here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. The Marsh Chapel Choir, along with the seminary singers and majestic brass, will be presenting that annual service and that annual tradition here at Marsh Chapel. We hope you can contend. We would hope you will keep an eye for these and all other activities at Marsh Chapel on the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu slash chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God. Take me home to my 
gracious and loving God, in this season of Thanksgiving, we find our source in you. We lift up this morning these symbols of your abundance. Let these gifts help to supply our service to you and to our community. Amen. show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. Amen. 